Today we talk about what's your risk of having a baby with a chromosomal abnormality based off of your age. I'm Dr. Mark Amos, and this is Taco About Fertility Tuesday. We talk a lot on this podcast about doing things to prevent chromosomal abnormalities, such as PGT. But we've never really talked about what's your chance of actually having a child with a chromosomal abnormality. And today, I want to talk about that and discuss the type of test that you can do to find out. Personally, I've never had a child with a chromosomal abnormality, such as Down syndrome, trisomy 13, trisomy 18, Turner syndrome, those are all chromosomal abnormalities. But I have had patients with those, and it's devastating. And the reason it's devastating is that nothing tells you it's going to happen. From your standpoint, you're moving forward, the baby's doing well, it's meeting all the milestones that we expect on the ultrasounds, but then all of a sudden something starts to show up abnormal. And then they look into it more, usually with something like an amniocentesis. And then you find out your child may have things like Edwards syndrome. And then you have to make a decision. Do you move forward that pregnancy? Do you terminate the pregnancy? And they tell you that your baby is not going to survive even after being born. It is a devastating situation, an extremely difficult situation to even make choices. The good news is, is that the risk is actually very small for most people. And this is something we all tend to fear. Don't feel bad that you worry you may have a child with a chromosomal problem. It's a very common fear. And as people get older, that fear becomes worse. And that's because we know as you get more mature, the risk of having a child with a chromosomal problem goes up. So before we get into the statistics of what those chances are, what's interesting is, is that the chromosomal disorder we most think of is Down syndrome. And that's because Down syndrome is a type of chromosomal problem where the baby can be born and can have a full life. And although everyone will agree babies are happy, there is sometimes more work associated with them because of the medical problems and potentially dependencies later in life. And so some people worry about that, especially when they're older, that they may not have 20 or 30 years to take care of a child that may have some special needs. And so that is one type of chromosomal disorder. And so if we look at that and we say, well, what's the chances of having a baby with Down syndrome under age 35? Well, it's only about one in 1,000 to 1 in 1,500. So it's very low. But the thing is, there's more than that. There are other chromosomal abnormalities. I mentioned trisomy 13 and 18. I mentioned Turner syndrome. So when you look at this from the total chromosomal issues that can happen, it's going to be higher. So going back to that last example, if we look at the youngest age group, let's say before age 30, the risk of Down syndrome is about one 
in 1,500 at the lowest, and about 1 in 1,250 at the highest. But when you look at the chromosomal problems that are clinically significant from all chromosomal problems, it's actually 1 per 500, even when under 30. And by the time you get to age 30, the chance to have a baby with Down syndrome is about 1 in 1,000. But when you look at it from the standpoint of all chromosomal problems, it's going to be 1 in 270. And it only gets worse with age, unfortunately. So, for example, if you say, well, what about age 40? Well, the chance of a child with Down syndrome at age 40 is actually pretty low. It's 1 in 100, which sounds like a lot, but realistically, that's 99% chance you're not going to have a baby with Down syndrome. But if you ask that same question, say, well, what's my chances of having a child with Down syndrome? But if you ask, what my chances are having a child with any clinically significant chromosomal problem, well, it's going to be 1 in 60. So much higher chances. Matter of fact, if you look at 45, a baby with Down syndrome is 1 in 30. But if you look at it from a chromosomal problem, it's 1 in 20. And so, as you can see, as you get older, there is going to be a higher risk of these chromosomal problems. Now, I don't think this is going to surprise everyone. I think everyone knows as you get older, you have higher risk of these chromosomal problems. But what's important is to really look at the numbers. I mean, as I mentioned, you can be between about 40 and 44 years of age, and your chances of actually having a baby with Down syndrome is only 1%. Even at 45, it's 1 in 30. Now, even when you look at the other chromosomal abnormalities, it seems like a high percentage, but when you look at the absolute number, it's very small. You hear 1 in 60, and it sounds horrible. But that truly means that your chances still are less than 2% that you're going to have a child with a chromosomal problem. So all those numbers sound scary. Keep in mind, 1 in 10 is still only a 10% chance. So it's important not just to be looking at the number per, you know, thousand deliveries that happen, but you actually look at the percentage. In the end, the chances are not as high as we think. But that's weird because when we look at things like PGT and IVF, a lot of embryos come back abnormal. And the discrepancy there is that those are abnormal chromosomes, but not the ones that make it a live birth. So the numbers I'm giving you are your chances of actually having a baby born with a chromosomal problem at a live birth. Now, it doesn't mean that that baby can't pass away for chromosomal problems, but at least it may have the live birth. Whereas the embryos, when you do IVF, that come back abnormal, those would have either not led to pregnancy or not even get it to the point of live birth and would have ended in a miscarriage. So I want to make sure that's very clear, the difference here. We are talking about the chances of having a baby born with some type of chromosomal problem versus having embryos that have chromosomal abnormalities. And why this is important is not everyone does PGT testing. And I want you to feel comfortable that even when you hear a number 1 in 50 and that sounds, oh my God, that's so high, it's really only 2%. That's a 98% chance that things will go fine. And if you think about it, we do things every day with statistics that are not even that good. 
So then the question comes, what can you do about it? Well, obviously in my field, one of the things you can do is you can do preventative things, such as IVF with PGT testing, pregenetic testing. Exactly like it says, we're testing prior to even getting pregnant. And so if we go through the embryos and we find out which ones are abnormal and which ones are normal, we can then transfer just the normal ones and lower the risk of having a baby born with a chromosomal abnormality. Now, this isn't perfect. No test is perfect because we don't know if the cells on the outside represent the baby on the inside. There can be mosaicism. So it's important to understand that although this is a way to help prevent the risk of having babies with chromosomal abnormalities, it is not perfect. Just like there is no test that is perfect. But what about the situation where you did get pregnant and now you want to know if your child has a high risk of having a chromosomal problem? Well, there are a few tests that you can do that are very helpful. One of the first tests, and one that's becoming more prevalent that people are doing, is called NIPT. So, non-invasive prenatal testing, NIPT. And what it does is it looks for certain chromosomal problems, such as Down syndrome, Edwards syndrome, Patel syndrome. And if you have it, it will show up. Its false negative is very low, which means... If it says that you don't have it, there's likely you don't have a child with those chromosomal problems. The limitation on that test is that you can't do it too early because there's not enough free fetal DNA in your blood to be tested. So usually you have to wait to at least 10 weeks before you can do that test. The other thing is limited to certain chromosomal problems. And that's because the test is probably geared more for those type of chromosomal problems. It's not always going to pick up other chromosomal problems that are maybe minor or smaller. And so it's really for more of the trisomy 13s, 18, 21, which are Down syndrome, and a few others such as even looking at gender, but it's not perfect. Now after that, there's another test that's not really looking at genetics, but is looked at to determine if there might be a problem. And that's called fetal Nuchal translucidity. And what they do is they look with an ultrasound and they look at the thickness of the back of the baby's neck. And then using that with some blood test, they'll determine if there's a higher risk that your baby may have something like Down syndrome. Now, this test is not determining if you have a baby with a chromosomal problem. It just increases or decreases your risk based off of your age. And so someone who has a high risk, this may lower it a little bit. It doesn't mean you don't have it, and it's not a perfect test. As a matter of fact, this is probably the worst test of all of them when it comes to the ability to predict if there's anything wrong. The goal of this test is more just to tell you that your risk is lower or higher to help you then know if you want to move forward with other tests. And that leads us then to the other tests, which are anamniocentesis and chorionic villus sampling, also called CVS. Both of these tests are actually using the cells from the baby or the placenta to then analyze the look of the chromosomes. CVS, chorionic villus sampling, is taking a biopsy of the placenta, whereas an amniocentesis is actually removing cells that the baby sheds in the amniotic fluid and then analyzing those. 
these tests are very accurate because you're getting millions of cells. And so now you have more to test. Whereas with NIPT, you're only getting free fetal DNA, which is not going to be as many DNA to test. When you do IVF with PGTA, you're getting three to five cells. So again, very limited amount of DNA that has to then be amplified to be able to be tested. But with CVS sampling and amniocentesis, you're getting enough material that you can actually do the test on them, not having to amplify them as much as you would with other tests, such as the ones I just mentioned. Now, one of the things that comes into decision-making is should you do this test or not? And part of that decision-making is, well, what's the risk of the test? Now, when it comes to IVF, there's really no risk to the pregnancy because you're not pregnant yet, but obviously there's some risk to the embryo. And that risk is actually very small. And so if you have a capable embryologist doing the biopsy and has done this for a while, you really don't have anything to worry about about hurting the embryo. When it comes to the NIPT test, it's just a blood draw. So again, very little risk other than just the pain in the blood draw. When it comes to the nuchal translucidity test, that also is just a vaginal ultrasound. So other than the discomfort of an ultrasound, not much with it. Now with the amniocentesis and CVS sampling, there is some risk. For the amniocentesis, we usually tell people it's between about 1 in 200 to 1 in 400 risk of a miscarriage after an amniocentesis. Whereas with CVS, it's 1 in 100 to 1 in 200. So basically half a percent to 1% for CVS and a quarter percent to half a percent for amniocentesis. And so why that's important is if let's say you're someone who's 45 and you have a 1 in 20 chance of having a chromosomal abnormality, then it doesn't seem that risky because the risk of the test is much lower than the risk of having a chromosomal problem. But if you are, let's say, 21 and your chances of having a chromosomal problem are very low, then the risk of the test could potentially be higher than the risk of having a baby with a chromosomal problem. And so you wouldn't move forward with that test because it wouldn't benefit you. Now, this doesn't mean you can't do testing. Matter of fact, American College of OBGYNs actually came out and said that anyone should be offered an amniocentesis because now the risk is so low at 0.25% that it's not unfair to tell people that they can't have it, but just tell them the risk and it's reasonable now for anyone to have it because the risk is so low. So then the last part to go over is if you did PGTA, do you need to do any more testing? And the simple answer is no. You don't need to do more testing. However, it's not unreasonable to do more testing because PGTA is imperfect. It is very possible that the test would be wrong, not because the test was bad, but because when the DNA was being amplified, DNA might have not shown up and didn't get amplified. Or potentially the ICM, the baby, isn't matching the trophectoderm. And so that can change things. And so it's not unreasonable to do more testing, but statistically, they're going to be very equal and be the same, and rarely are they going to be different. So it's also not unreasonable to say, no, I don't want to do any testing. I would highly recommend no one doing an amniocentesis or CVS if they have euploid embryos from IVF with PGTA. But I think it's very reasonable 
to do the non-invasive testing, such as the NIPT. In the end, there is no wrong or right. What's most important is that you feel comfortable. If you need the test, then you do the test. Just understand as you get older, things change. So again, under 30, the chances of a chromosomal disorder across the board is only 1 in 500. But by the time you get to age 48, it's 1 in 10 will have a chromosomal abnormality with a live birth. And what's crazy about that is, even in that situation, at age 48, that means there's a 90% chance your baby will be fine. So the point is, yes, it's a common fear people have, but in reality, the chances are very low. I'm sorry for the people that unfortunately end up having that and had to deal with that, but for most people, the chance is going to be low. And there are things you can do to prevent it. There are things you can do to test for it. And I want to make sure you understood those on today's episode. As always, I greatly appreciate everyone that listens to this episode. Maybe you have a friend who's pregnant or maybe a friend who questions these things or worries about these things. You can tell her about our episode. If you like us, tell your friends about us. Give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast medium. As always, come back and listen again next week. I always look forward to talking to you on Taco Bell Fertility Tuesday. 